Welcome to the Music, Money, and Life podcast. This podcast is brought to you by HowToLicenseYourMusic.com. If you want to learn how to make money writing music for TV, films, and ads, visit HowToLicenseYourMusic.com today for a free video series all about how to write music specifically for use in TV shows, films, and commercials. Music, Money, and Life is the podcast that brings together the best minds in music licensing, music publishing, music marketing, and more together in one place. Learn how to license your music and market your music. Learn the latest cutting-edge techniques for getting your music heard and making money from your music. Learn directly from the musicians and industry insiders on the front lines of the music business. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review in iTunes. Every positive review helps us rise up the ranks in iTunes, gain more subscribers, and attract more and more great guests. And now, without further ado, here's today's podcast. Yeah, man. I mean, just real quick before we jump into this, I I don't recall how we initially connected you're, you're one of i have a number of people on my facebook feed that i don't really know yeah. but i i see your, your posts and and i've sort of been been following them and it you know just it's intriguing to me all the different placements and stuff you've had for sure you know i think that's kind of the cool thing about social media i was very late to it aaron but i mean i've been doing it a long time and once i i guess created a music page i don't know four or five years ago I do feel like this kind of circle of, you know, folks has certainly gotten, you know, bigger. Um, and, you know, when I've released albums, I've started experimenting with promoting and, you know, uh, spending a little bit of money getting getting that information out too. So I guess I'm not surprised that um, some of my stuff has come across your feed. Uh, I, I can't say I'm a you know, expert on the social media parts, but it's been, you know, being able to talk to guys like you is kind of one of the upsides, I think. Yeah. Do you recall how we initially connected? Did you reach out to me or did I reach out to you? Do you remember? Because I know that we've been friends for a few years now. I think, I, I don't know if you have any connection or, you know, even knowledge of the kind of Iowa city music scene and people like Greg Brown or Bo Ramsey uh, who would be connected to, I guess, extended friends like Lucinda Williams, folks that are yeah. into the, you know, alt country Americana, you know, genre, you know, she would be certainly the most, you know, well-known one. Um, but my mentors have made records with her and toured with her. And if I had to guess, Aaron, I would guess that if you follow some of their pages and, uh, th- that's probably how we met. When you messaged me, I, I knew your name, <laughs> but yeah. I wasn't familiar with your, you know, podcast until I clicked, you know, clicked through and found found it uh, and listened through a little bit. And now, you know, I did a little research, not a lot. I feel like I have at least a little better idea uh, of what you're doing. Cool. Well, well, listen, right on. I'm uh, recording this as we speak. If you want, we can just kind of jump into this sure. so, so we don't you know, end up repeating ourselves. Um, sound quality good, uh, just from audio standpoint. Yeah. So quick question on that, because I've, people have pointed out in the past, there's sometimes a discrepancy between my volume and my guest volume. So the, you, do you see the dots when you speak? So I'm, I'm right about in the middle, right? Like my normal speaking voice is about three to four green dots. Do you see those when you speak on your end? Yeah, I do. And then uh, yours show up to the left of my face. <laughs> and yeah. Mine are showing up at about the same level. So maybe maybe this is ideal. 
three about three down. Yeah, it, it looks like it. I, I see it. I see both of them now. Yeah, it looks like they're pretty equal. So okay. yeah, I'm trying to gradually improve the audio quality of my, of my my podcast. But but um, in the past, there's often been a big discrepancy. So we can just kind of jump right into this, Kelly. If you could help me with your your last name, so I don't butcher it. Sure. So if you can say party pooper, you can say my name, Aaron. Party it's, Cooper. It's just Party Cooper, exactly. It's uh, it's Dutch. Um, at least that's what I learned from the touring in Holland. Um, I probably a great grandpa at some point came over to uh, to Iowa. It means horse buyer in Dutch, but it's pronounced Party Cooper. Kelly, the horse buyer, Party Cooper. So, welcome back to the podcast, everybody. I'm speaking with Kelly Party Cooper. Kelly, thanks for uh, for doing this, man. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. So you're from from Iowa City. Are, are you based out of there still? Where do you live currently? Not anymore. You know, I grew up there and I went to college um, at the University of Iowa there, and certainly spent my first 35 years and all of my uh, all my formative music years were there. Um, a small college town, very vibrant, great music scene, um, like a lot of college towns. Um, I'm based in Indianapolis now, Aaron, but that's kind of by way of Nashville, Madison, Wisconsin, and Los Angeles uh, over the last 15 years. So I, I would say I've moved around quite a bit since leaving Iowa City. Right on three really cool cities. What did you think? Well, I, I love Madison, but let's focus on LA and Nashville. Between those two cities, what did you enjoy the most? What did, did you get the most experience and value out, out of living in? Well, I like them both for different reasons. Uh, the music cities, you know, Nashville was the first place that I went when I left Iowa City. Had some really good friends invite me down there and it was time to go. It, it was my first kind of education in the beginning uh, of my song publishing education. It's a different kind of, uh, publishing world down there as songwriters you're probably familiar with the, the concept of co-writing and how a lot of the country music certainly has multiple songwriters on it and they have a big you know tradition of that down there um i was yeah. only in nashville for a year and you know i loved the year that i lived down there but i learned really quickly that a i was probably not going to be you know a, a <laughs> A, a Nashville country artist um, and B that I'm really not built for co-writing. Um, I took a couple shots with some different, you know, people I met down there sitting in a room trying to work through the co-writing process. And, you know, I moved down there with already, I'd already had, I don't know, four indie albums under my belt and had toured mostly regionally uh, and in Europe quite a bit as an as just an artist but it was my first kind of experience um realizing that like you know this isn't the kind of songwriting that really uh, is going to ever work for me um so as much as i love nashville professionally it was a, it was a quick lesson right i mean it, i learned that very very quickly um when i met my current wife she was just beginning a a medical residency in Madison. So that's what took me to Madison for a few years. Okay. Um, and again, her final training was in Los Angeles and we thought we were going to go for a year and we ended up staying four years. Um, so that's what took me there. And that was when, you know, through 
a music conference. Uh, ASCAP is my performance rights organization. Um, and I met some folks through the West Coast Songwriters Association. This would have been 10, 11 years ago now. Um, that was what led me to meet my publisher uh, eventually. Uh, and I found quickly that there was, you know, that's a city where the whole business of putting TV and film music together, it, a lot of it lives there. Not all of it. There's certainly other markets, but Los Angeles yeah. is a big hub for that. And it just was a better fit for me because at least with my publisher, Aaron, I already had a catalog, you know, of quite a few songs. About half of the albums I've recorded, I, I went to Los Angeles with, you know, and he was very honest with me from the beginning on, you know, he, he loved my catalog, but he, he never guaranteed that he would be able to find work for my songs. He just liked it. And sure. I fit a hole kind of that he needed. He represents a lot of songwriters and he didn't really have a guy that had a ton of that kind of broad umbrella, Americana, country, folk, roots, blues, music. Um, so, you know, Los Angeles was a better fit for me. You know, I love both sure. cities for different reasons. You know, I think that Nashville and beyond kind of, I guess what you'd call country music that's being played on the radio down there, there's a lot of great music of all genres in Nashville and it's a great music city. Um, and, I, you know, if I hadn't met my wife, I probably would have stayed down there because I really did like it. I'm from the Midwest. It was a good fit for me. Um, but sometimes, you know, you just kind of end up where you end yeah. up. Yeah. Life just sort of pulls you in different directions sometimes. Yeah. So l let's talk about some of the placements you've had just to, to give people an, an idea of where your music has been heard and then we can talk a little bit about licensing and and how in your own words you you sort of stumbled into licensing but you've had music on shows like Son, sons of anarchy true blood justified chicago fire cold case it looks like quite a few tv placements you've had some film placements at least one film place placement in a nicholas cage movie called vengeance right. how did you how did you like you said when when we were messaging back and forth on F Facebook. How did you sort of stumble into licensing? Yeah, well, the licensing, certainly Bob Mayer, who is the, the guy that- From uh, he, Black Toast. From Black Toast Music. He, uh, he's, my, he's my exclusive publisher. Um, when I say stumbled in, I mean, I really, I really did in the sense that I, I saw in Los Angeles a lot of folks 11, 12 years ago, when, at least when I moved there, trying to figure out how to get their independent music into TV and film, but I wasn't meeting a lot of, you know, publishers, at least at that time, that were catering at all to, to indie music. Uh, in other words, you know, the large ones, the Warner Chappelle's, the Sony, the, the big publishing companies in Los Angeles were all very connected to the big major record labels. Um, so, you know, I experimented with a couple, I'm going to call this non-exclusive licensing deals with some smaller companies out there. Uh, and for your listeners, it's a, it's a really important distinction for people to know the difference between a non-exclusive publishing agreement and an exclusive publishing agreement. Um, yeah. And the, the, the main thing is that with a non-exclusive company, you're not giving them the rights to your music 
in perpetuity forever. Um, and this was sort of a continuation of my publishing education that started in Nashville and just sort of transitioned into how it applies to TV and film, music licensing and, and sync fees and all of the ways that, you know, you can generate money from your, you know, from your songs. Um, so I stumbled in. Luckily, you know, I didn't really find any what I would consider bad deals. I saw some kind of silly deals along the way that I just passed on. Um, but when I met Bob at Black Toast Music, that was the beginning of sort of the education on, you know, why would I ever consider giving any publisher exclusive rights to represent my music? Um, and believe me, Aaron, I've had this conversation with every musician, you know, that I've known for probably the last 20 years who asked me about this. And it's a really scary commitment, I think, for any, you know, songwriter or someone that, you know, values their copyright um, to make. You know, I tried to do due diligence and talk to a lot of his artists. He already had a, a large exclusive catalog of music. So it was pretty easy for me to talk to his other songwriters who had worked with him for a while. And ultimately I decided that at that point, the five records that I had, it's about 60 songs, um, that I was gonna do it because I wanted someone that had skin in the game. You know, I wanted someone that, you know, wasn't gonna take me on unless they really thought, you know, they'd be able to generate income uh, from my songs. Um, that's kind of a long answer to your short question, but that was how I stumbled in. I stumbled in really by trying to network and going to these different, you know, conferences that some of them were performance rights organizations. Some of them were just sort of Los Angeles songwriter groups, just kind of trying to find similar minded people who are looking for other ways, you know, to maybe uh, get their songs used and generate income, you know, in a industry where it's getting harder and harder for independent musicians to make, you know, much income off of actual album, physical album sales. So do you work with any other publishers or libraries outside of, of Black Toast or are you exclusively, do you sign all your songs to them at this point? Well, uh, it's, I would say 90% of my songs are all exclusive to Bob at Black Toast Music. Uh, okay. You know, we, we both talk about it now. We've been working together for 10 years too, just so you know that the first agreement that I, you know, signed with Bob was in 2009. So at 10 years in, we've got a pretty established um, relationship and I feel a big chunk, you know, of, of that genre of music for him. Mm -hmm. um, I have a few, you know, a couple other just kind of, I would say, non-exclusive deals that are hardly worth mentioning only only because, you know, Bob has a whole lot of Kelly Party Cooper music. He doesn't he doesn't um, he doesn't have exclusive rights to me as a songwriter. It's very much a song by song and album by album process where he'll listen to them and he can, you know, he can take it or leave it if he if he feels like he kind of already has a certain style covered yeah. then he won't, you know, he won't take it, but he does, he, he represents about 90% of my catalog exclusively. And that's really interesting. I have a very similar arrangement with, with a different company also based in, in LA. And then, I, and then I work with maybe five or six different non-exclusive libraries, Yeah. But, but the vast majority of my placements have been through this exclusive publisher 
can you, was there a conversation you had when you initially met Bob? Like what gave you the confidence to sign 60 songs exclusively? What made you feel like this was going to be a fruitful relationship? Primarily the homework that I did, you know, it, it was a, it was a slow decision and he never, he never, he never pushed me, you know, he never put a deadline on me. You know, he was never like, Hey, this true blood show really you'd be perfect for, but we need to do this right now. And in in hindsight, it's sort of what happened. You know, the, those initial true blood placements, they ended up using three of my songs over seven years. Once I made the decision uh, and felt good about, doing this, he really did have, um, he had people that were definitely looking for songs in my genre. Um, and I was a new artist, you know, I spent most of my time in the Midwest and in Europe, you know, for, for Los Angeles, I was certainly also a brand new, um, a brand new voice that these music supervisors and decision makers were hearing, uh, at that time anyway, but it was really how transparent he was and I actually appreciated Aaron that he never promised me a thing. We've had a really good relationship, but he was very upfront about saying, Kelly, I love your catalog of songs. I love, I love what you do, but I can't guarantee you that X number of music supervisors are going to also love it and use it because, you know, I know it's a very much a, you know, it's not even about whether music supervisors like you. I think it's more, do you happen to fit that need that they have right at that moment? And are, is your publisher easy to work with so that they can you know, make the deal, make it affordable? There are a lot of, I think, different variables you know, that are going on behind the scenes that most songwriters and artists are probably not aware about and probably don't care about. I guess I've just learned more about it from some of my interactions with not only my publisher, but even some of the music supervisors, you know, that I've kind of met through Bob, yeah, um, just sort of what they're going through and how many songs they're going through and how quickly they need to make a decision to use a song. Um, this all right speaks to why exclusive for me has been better because the, the time commitment that, that Bob has to put in and actually pitching, you know, my music and then quickly come into some type of sync fee agreement on what he thinks is a fair deal. Um, you know, that's, that's sort of why you pay the publisher, right? I mean, they're the ones that are out there doing that work. Uh, and I guess at my gut level, I just felt good about what I saw from, from his artists, the way his other songwriters responded to my emails and phone calls. They were pretty quick, you know, to to kind of back up my first gut feelings that he's really transparent. You're probably only going to talk to him, you know, two or three times a year, sometimes when he just really needs needs your input on a certain lyric or a, a few songs that he needs to pitch really quickly and doesn't yeah. have time to go through his thousands and thousands of songs. Um, now it was still scary. You know what I mean? I mean, it was still, you know, I think always um, you're worried when you're signing any rights away, but you know, for, for a lot of people at certain parts of their career, Aaron, it would not be the right thing to do for me. 
I was already 40 years old and my main touring was behind me. Um, and it felt like it was the perfect thing for me to do. And it's, it's actually, it's worked out very well. And I, I agree with you completely. Um, the exclusive songs are the ones that have been generating the most income. You know, the non-exclusive ones, I wanted them out there, maybe like you, just as just for a chance for them to maybe make make a little money somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for sure. It definitely makes sense from the publishing perspective. I totally get why publishers want and in a lot of cases demand exclusivity. But it, it seems like you're similar to me in the sense that you're a singer songwriter, right? You're not cranking out, you're not doing cues, you're not doing like instrumental. Oh yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, that's really good. That's a really good point to bring up because, you know, like in Nashville where I learned quickly that I wasn't going to be able to sit with, you know, two or three songwriters working in a very, you know, in a certain formula and certain keys. I also learned quickly from Bob Mayer, my publisher, you know, these publishers, they, they have access to, information before before things are even created and go to film um so i tried a couple times to write to spec i guess that's what i would call it where mm -hmm. you know he knew that he was going to have a request coming in two months for a b and c and again i found that for me that is just sort of not the way my creativity works and I, I tried it. It, did, it definitely didn't work. Um, Bob was very honest about it that like, you know, I just don't think this, this doesn't really bring out the soulful part of your music that, that I, that I like. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I was in Los Angeles. I thought, well, why not give it a try? Some people have that, you know, that skill set. Uh, for me, it was really clear that Bob would prefer that I just keep creating songs that I was moved to create. And then he would, you know, try to find homes for them when it was appropriate. Uh, mostly he wanted me to continue just being the same artist that I have always tried to be, you yeah. know. That's interesting that you bring up writing to spec. I'm working on it, a, um, a spec project right now for for my publisher. And, and it's a different experience, man. There's, there's something about being told what to write yeah. that, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with it. To be honest, I think I'm getting, I think I'm getting there for this particular. My publisher gave me two or three different ideas for for song titles and themes, but it's just it's a much different process, right? Than just sitting down and, and writing what you feel like writing. For sure. No, I mean, believe me, I sympathize. If I had any tips, I would absolutely send them your way. Um, it's just everyone is different and I, I have so much respect for the folks that can kind of sit in front of, you know, a moving picture and kind of create to a scene. And I, I tried to take my own process through that where uh, Bob would kind of visualize what was happening. I could even get access to some of the um, dialogue, some of the initial, at least rough dialogue that was going to be in the scene. And, you know, like you said, whether it was something like, you know, can you give us something that has these words that maybe sound like the Almond Brothers, but it would be really good if it was like mid to up tempo. Yeah. Just having the, those kind of parameters, it was just almost a, 
it was definitely a barrier for me because it, it's kind of sent my head in different directions. And, you know, you don't know what you're going to be good at. I don't think until you, until you try it. And I think I gave it a pretty honest, a pretty honest try. I, I gave it a lot of time and it just wasn't, it just, for me, it, I never could kind of latch onto whatever it is that moves me when it comes to, especially uh, I would say the lyrics, you know, but even the emotion to put into the vocal, right? Like I, I just, with those kind of parameters for doing spec work, I, for me, I just couldn't find out where to kind of put the soul. You know what I mean? Like where to really. Yeah. No, I, I can relate to the, to the, to the struggle a hundred percent. I mean, uh, like I said, I have the, I'm excited when I'm given direction because I, at least I know if I write something that my publisher is looking for, there's a better chance that at least hypothetically that it will be used, but yeah. it's a struggle sometimes to force myself down a creative path. I wouldn't necessarily have gone down. Does that make sense? Definitely. No, I, I get it a hundred percent. And I think it's a, uh, I think it's worth it for everyone, you know, that's interested in this to try though, because I do think that there are some folks that, that maybe have that, you know, um, and it's, it's okay. Right. It's just sort of part of the deal. Like I, I know as you get older, especially and do it long enough, I feel like I kind of know what I can do the same way that, you know, you start learning like what keys are better for your voice, you know, like, yeah. This was something I tried to give time to, especially while I was living in Los Angeles and had more, you know, just I was closer to that industry. But it was, yeah, it was it was a tough one for me. And I felt really grateful that Bob kind of, you know, <laughs> politely let me off the hook with it just to be like, hey, you should just this is what you should do. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess what we're talking about is an important topic because really there are sort of two schools of thought when it comes to licensing. There's the school of thought that says, write whatever you're inspired to write, sign those songs, pitch those songs and sort of let the chips fall where they may. And then there's more like the TV composer. What I, I guess what I think of production music, that route where you're writing specifically for the medium of television. And there are two very, there are different approaches and not everybody can, can do both. I, I feel like I'm sort of somewhere in the middle. Sounds like you, you're, you're you're a true singer. You're a true artist, maybe in the sense that you just want to write songs that you're inspired to write. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, so, I've I've let the chips kind of yeah, fall. But, I feel really grateful that they some of them have fallen my way. But yeah, I I I encourage anyone to try both. Um, but for me. It's great if you're in the middle, Aaron, I think, because I think there is a lot of that kind of work that can be done if you feel, you know, good technically kind of doing, you know, maybe even doing 30 to 45 second cool little montage pieces that can turn into like commercial music. I think there is a whole wide area of extra income that can be made if you have that skill set. Um, no, for, for, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, I just had a live Q&A scheduled um to a couple three nights ago on friday with with a composer who, who who creates custom music for tv and he canceled at the last minute he's like i just got a job offer they need something in two hours or, th or three hours so right, right within three hours he had received the, re the request composed a piece of music and delivered it and i'm assuming he got the, the gig i'm not really sure but you know there is that sort of last minute there are those opportunities and if you can create music on the fly like that absolutely you open up a whole 
new field of opportunities. Nope, I agree 100%. You know, and I would only consider myself a very, oh, novice engineer also. So I guess yeah. I also recognize that for for the sake of turning things over quickly, like I just have a small little Pro Tools unit that I love to use for demos, but I still, I guess, enjoy taking the time, working at the songs, you know, creating the demos on my own, but then doing the real recording, you know, in as good a studio as I can afford with with other players. I think for me, that's just the better, been the better model. Yeah, absolutely. I think our approaches are, are really similar. That's essentially how I do things as well. I, I have a, a little Pro Tools light, you know, set up and I do demos and I write, but then I, I typically go to another studio. So I, I think we're, I think our approaches are, are very similar in that sense. Um, do you, do you, do you still tour? Do you still play live? Very, very little live. I would say uh, I turned 50 last year. Um, and you know, this, I put a record out this past fall, um, uh, that was my ninth over 20 years. And, you know, I would say that my, my touring career, my whole music career really is broken down in these last 20 years to two halves. You know, the first 10 years was a lot of that, a lot of playing music regionally, um, and a lot in Europe, trying to build a grassroots following. You know, I have a nice little group of folks in America and Europe that that really support what I do. But really, the last 10 years, it's really gotten down to just some hometown shows. I have a fun little kind of bar band here in Indianapolis that will play sometimes. But that's gotten gotten to be a much, much smaller part of my life, Aaron. I, I try to focus on now, at least at my age, on the things that I like the most. And it usually comes back to the writing the songs and the recording the songs. Right on. And do you do you have another job? Do you, do you where does music sort of fit into your income stream? It's, you know, it's fit all over, you know, over the last 20 years, again, I would say about half of that time I've been working, you know, I was a full-time working musician, um, always having probably odd jobs, you know, in Nashville, I painted houses in Madison. I painted houses. I've worked at alt weekly newspapers, um, in Madison and Iowa city and here in Indy. Um, I guess I've always had, you know, some other income streams. It's not something that, um, I don't know, man. I mean, I guess I grew up having to sort of hustle it that way from the beginning. So I never, uh, I have a schedule that's flexible enough that when I, when I need to write and record, I can write and record, um, here right now in Indianapolis, to give you like an up-to-date moment, I work part-time for a, just a downtown property management company, doing some marketing for them. Um, but I've always had odd jobs on and off. You know, it's never been like a gravy train, you know, making millions of dollars kind of uh, passion for me. Uh, I would say, you know, music sort of feeds my soul. I need that for my soul. It kind of makes life worth living for me in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. I'm an Iowa kid. I mean, I grew up working. I've got no problem working. I've never felt like music owed me a living. I love it for what it's kind of opened up in my life. But, uh, you know, I like regular jobs too, Aaron, for a lot of reasons. You know, I, I find my inspiration for songs just sort of 
bumping into people every day and hearing their stories and living a normal life. I mean, it lends itself to my genre of music, you know, um, and I've done a lot of interviews both in Europe and, and here where I'll talk about this and sort of talk about, you know, any authenticity that people hear in my songs, in my stories and in my voice probably come from the fact that I'm living a pretty regular life, you know, I mean, yeah. Married, no, for sure. Indianapolis. For sure. There's some, your life, yeah, you know? there's some there's something to be said for that. I mean, that there's there seems to be something that happens with a lot of artists, ironically, that that become ultra successful where they lose the ability to relate to just quote unquote regular people. And and the music tends to suffer. I mean, I'm I'm sure you've seen that pattern well, play out with a lot of artists. And it's tricky, you know, like I have I've I've had a lot of friends over the years that have gotten so, you know, frustrated and even bitter that music somehow didn't deliver them. I, I don't know what they were expecting it to deliver them, but I think they wanted more. Um, sure. And I guess I've never, I started late anyway. You know, I didn't put an album out until I was 30. So I guess I, uh, and I got an awfully funny stage name, you know, like I tried to just keep it realistic from the beginning that like, I love this and I'm going to do it and I'm going to try to do it and get it out to as many people as I can. Yeah. And then just see what happens. Right. I, I like you said a few minutes ago, I, I love the idea that the music industry and just life in general owes nobody nothing. Right. Like life right. doesn't owe you anything. So, right. Well, yeah. Yeah, an old musician told me that an old friend a long time ago because he was he was kind of getting tired of young musicians sort of uh, calling him all the time, trying to like help him, you know, make it in the business. And I'll never forget that line. He's like, look, music doesn't owe you a living. And it's kind of stayed with me uh, really my whole career. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I look at anything that that happens, any placements and any shows my music is used on is sort of icing on the cake, right? Like I would do this either way. So the, the fact that I'm able to make money at all from this is, is exciting to me. No, me too. And I feel really grateful and I try to continue to be grateful. And, um, you know, it doesn't take away from the, the work, right? It doesn't take away from the fact that it's still really hard work and you still have to, I think, work at that craft all the time. You know, I still do. My wife gets up really early at 6 a.m. And as I've gotten older, I've gotten in the habit of just getting up with her and getting her off to work. And then, then I take an hour every morning with my guitar and nothing else on, no, you know, no electronic anything. And I still try to put the time in to carve out that time to see, you know, see what I can come up with creatively. Um, so, I don't want to flippantly say it doesn't owe me a living and make it sound like I'm not trying hard still. Believe me, I wish some huge movie would use one of my songs and, you know, we'd make a lot of money off it. That, uh, But I'm not holding my breath for it. You know what I mean? It really is uh, been a great, really a great surprise. The whole music licensing business has been a wonderful kind of second act for me. And I'm grateful for what I've got. Um, and, but you know, you're still always striving for more. You still got to keep working, I think. Sure. Yeah. I think there's something to be said to, there's something about the idea of it being about the process and the journey as opposed to, to the des the destination. I mean, the one thing that I do like about writing for spec, I like, 
a, a sense of purpose. So when I sit down, like the thing that licensing has given me as is no matter what's going on in terms of my overall career, whether or not I'm playing shows, that sort of fluctuates from time to time, but you need something to work towards. So I think if you don't have that, you know, it's all too easy to just, to just quit, right? To, to just give yeah, up. I totally agree. Go, go get a regular totally, job. Totally, totally agree. You know, and I, I think, uh, I think that's a pretty, a pretty good way to put what happens to, to a lot of musicians and artists. You know, there's certainly a lot of challenges and I guess I'm lucky to, you know, I came up in an era when you really could still tour and sell CDs off of a stage, you know, and have that be a viable income. Um, I will get a lot of random emails from young songwriters and young musicians, you know, who, who really struggle with that. Like how, how do we find any money in the streaming era? Like it, it's a, I, every generation has its challenge, but I, I don't have any magic bullet answers, certainly for the young ones coming up, other than if you love, if you love it, keep working at it because, you know, you're still young and you're like any craft, you've got to keep working at it to get better. Um, it's sort of one of be ready for the opportunity. You know, Bob Mayer told me when I moved to LA, had I not come with a, you know, a catalog of 60 songs, he probably would have passed because, you know, you do sort of need to create a certain catalog of work, I think, for publishers to to take you seriously, too. So I do think, you know, folks need to to continue, you know, working if they're if they're planning to, to make money in that that part of the business. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, if you have five or 10 songs and that's all you have, obviously, you're opportunities will be limited but when you have a catalog of 60 70 100 songs you know plus th then you open up a lot more doors and and that takes time to to create obviously definitely well listen kelly i think this is a good place for for us to stop i really appreciate you uh speaking with me today for those of you who didn't hear at the beginning of the podcast kelly and i are facebook friends we connected uh, somehow we, we ended up connecting on, on Facebook and I saw your post about all your different placements and true blood and sons of, of anarchy, sons of anarchy and so on. So I really appreciate you uh, doing this. Let's tell people where they can learn more about you. You're, yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it too. See the social media does have some, some good upsides here. Um, you can find really anything about me just by Googling my silly name, which Though sounds like Kelly Party Pooper, you can even Google that and find me. Um, the actual address is just kellypartycooper.com, and that'll kind of take you to all the magic, you know, links where you can stream the music, buy the music, steal the music, do whatever you're going to do with the music, you know. And we should probably spell your last name for people that are that are listening to this that that don't see it written out. Sure. So it's P A R D is in David E K. O O P E R. And that's Kelly K E L L Y. So go check out uh, Kelly's website, kellypartycooper.com. And if you could, Kelly, what I like to do at the end of, of each and every one of these podcasts is to play a song from the guests that I'm featuring. Do you have a particular track, maybe something new or maybe something from, from a high profile placement? Is there a particular track we can play at the outro of this podcast? Oh, what would be good? Well, my latest album, 50 Weight, is probably the one to do it. And since we're 
kind of in a highly political state right now. Um, I would guess that Lily White is probably as good a one as any to play um, for okay. we're at in 2019. Lily White is the name of it. That's right. Lily White. It's uh, the second track on my uh, most recent album, 50 Weight. Awesome. So this is Lily White, Kelly Party Cooper. Kelly, thank you so much for uh, doing this. Oh, you bet. Thanks so much, Aaron. Got no real problems, but all the same. Last somehow find time to complain. So soft and lazy, I waste my time. Last sit here filming. the rest. 